Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Thank you so much for joining the Michigan Minds Podcast. I'm so excited to learn from you today and hear more about your story. So can you please just start by introducing yourself to our listeners and share a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Daisha Price, and I am currently an assistant clinical professor within the School of Social Work at University of Michigan. My primary focus is actually on teaching and service as a clinical professor. I spend a lot of time in the classroom with students and engaging in the teaching and learning and community partnership. Fantastic. Can you elaborate a little bit on that and share where your research focuses? Sure. As a clinical faculty member, like I said, it's, it is centered around teaching and service. And so when we talk about research, I primarily focus on ways to engage professionals to work in urban communities. And my focus is on how to improve those practices and being anti-oppressive in order to achieve social justice in the community. So most of my work at the university has been centered on preparing new practitioners to deliver behavioral health services in communities that have been identified as having a shortage of health professionals. When we think about those things, it, it brings in all of the community systems that work together. And so my research areas kind of shift based on what is current and what needs immediate attention, but it always centers around how are we bringing services into communities that have a shortage of resources and access to them. I'm really excited to be talking with you today, especially since May is Mental Health Awareness Month and we're approaching the one year mark since social justice movements started taking place across the globe to address racism and police brutality. You've conducted extensive work in these areas, you know, engaging with professionals and communities, as you mentioned. So I'm wondering if you can start us off by explaining the types of training you help provide law enforcement and why those are necessary. Mm -hmm. Again, thinking about my research focus around working with professionals that work in specific communities, a lot of that research and evaluation centers on what are the needs of individuals to be prepared to do this work. And so for the past four years in Wayne County, we definitely identified a need for law enforcement and first responders to have more mental health awareness as a part of their role. So we started with providing some basic training to them. Um, we did mental health first aid, question, persuade, refer, so that they would know how to recognize a crisis and to intervene when it's related to behavioral health. And so we utilize those evidence-based practice methods, but then throughout those interactions, it became clear and evident that more intensive training and support was needed to also think about some of the different biases that come into play to help law enforcement officers to be able to recognize what their roles are and how to connect with other mental health providers for themselves and others. So it's been really interesting to see things evolve. I think the one thing that I do want to note, though, is that, of course, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and these have been ongoing 
conversations, actions, and a process that we've been engaged with for, for quite some time. And why is it important to focus on mental health specifically and not just during Mental Health Awareness Month, but beyond? Absolutely. Uh, the biggest reason I tell people is because mental health is present with everyone. Right. And so we're transitioning our time from thinking about mental health as a mental illness or mental health disorder into just the state of being. Right. So when we think about mental health, we know that we all show up in ways that impact our thoughts, feelings and our behaviors. And that really guides how we interact with each other. Right. And so unlike physical health, physical physical health is often about what your own body is experiencing, whereas our mental health really takes into consideration the way we interact with others. And so it, we have to be mindful of it because we have it ourselves and then the people that we engage with will as well. So when service providers on any level that's going to interact with the public, it must be aware of their own mental health state and the state of others in order to be effective. In what ways can social workers collaborate with police officers to support those who are dealing with mental health issues? You know, I think that that has been the million dollar question, Erica, I think. And so first and foremost, I think that more social workers and even other disciplines that engage in interpersonal clinical work should try to engage in continuing education to understand the culture of law enforcement and be prepared to deliver mental health services to law enforcement officers, which means they would also need to utilize an anti-oppressive clinical approach that will support their clients in discovering and addressing their implicit biases. So when we talk about that, essentially, a lot of times when people go to therapy, and I'm sure some of the listeners now will say, has my therapist ever talked to me about my implicit biases or how I think about other groups? And if the answer is no, you might want to challenge your therapist to say, you know, let's talk about this. Let's dig into this. Let's see how this is impacting the way I move throughout the world. And because what we do know, especially for officers, is that if we can have healthy officers, that is necessary for healthy community. So that would be the first thing I would say, is that not just therapy to address the trauma that they experience on a day-to-day -day in their role, but also some of those other things that are part of our environment and our socialization. Secondly, I would say, this is a big one. I have to pause, take a breath and make sure everybody hears me. Social workers and other professionals have to learn to not utilize law enforcement to intervene with clients and instead work to learn more creative engagement strategies and know how to connect people to crisis resources in the community. A lot of situations arise when social workers, and I, I talk with law enforcement and first responders, and they ask me, they say, well, they call, the social workers called us about a client having a mental health condition because they were concerned or didn't feel equipped. And so we, we need to do a better job at being prepared to support people who are in a crisis and not immediately jump to law enforcement intervention. And so then third, when you work in a community, really getting to know your law enforcement agency and the officers, because if you know them and they know you, there can be a, a much more streamlined connection and support to people that live in that community. 
that can sometimes lead into my last recommendation. And that would be to be willing to work in co-response teams. It has been really interesting lately. Um, there, there was a call, an immediate call for people to say, you know, you need to have more social workers on your teams. And law enforcement agencies are responding to that request. The challenge now is for them to find people that will apply for the position and be hired. Right. And so they've been trying to recruit professional social workers to do that. And so we we need to be ready to accept that call because it's out there. So those are a few ways I would say social workers can collaborate with um, police officers in different ways. I think that those are all wonderful. Thank you for sharing those. Can you explain the process of your work? How do you establish those collaborations and conduct these trainings? You're going to laugh when I say this, but I eat pie. (laughs) (laughs) Literally and figuratively, right? And so a lot of times there is times where we're eating something sweet, eating pie together to just get to know each other, right? Like that's one piece. But I also use that as an acronym to remind me of the social work practices to use. Essentially, it's engage, assess, target goals and then plan, intervene, and evaluate. I've spent the past few years really in the engagement and assessment process, learning the different culture, learning to be able to have dialogue with different people within the law enforcement agencies, really seeking to understand the history and the current strengths and challenges of our public safety system. So that took a lot of time and we did some of that over pie sometimes actually. Now, once I was able to identify specific goals to target, which was to basically increase the understanding between law enforcement and civilians, because what what they shared with me was that their goals is to have safe communities for everyone. That's the goal. Through that, I planned one intervention and specifically that was recommended for them was to have inclusive training for law enforcement officers, but also to begin having community conversations. And could that intervention was to, again, open opportunities for people to dialogue or, and really starting with listening, right? Because a lot of people like to talk, but there aren't a lot of times where people just listen. So we use a fishbowl model in Western Wayne counties, and we we go to different parts of the county. We've been doing it virtual lately, but we have it where civilians can just talk and answer questions from law enforcement. I moderate those conversations, and they just talk, and, and everyone else just has to listen. Others can't interject. They can't be ready to respond. They just got to kind of watch and listen, and that, I think, has been powerful to start that process, and we're looking forward to being able to move forward with the new intervention where there's more back and forth dialogue. And, and now, we, now we're kind of evaluating how that has worked. How have the listening sessions gone? Do we see progress happening? Have the trainings improved of the relations between law enforcement and the community? And so each quarter, we've been looking at what has happened in the community. Have there been different conversations that people have engaged in? And then what modifications can be made? And right now, we're in the process of making a modification to try to incorporate training 
for citizens. So you may remember I mentioned one of the things that social workers need to think about is when do we call law enforcement to intervene in things? And we also need to have community members understand what is pushing them to call law enforcement for specific issues that they see in the community. So that's kind of the process and we just keep going and keep going and keep going. <laughs> it's a phenomenal example of you know, really thorough community engagement and public engagement work. In the School of Social Work's most recent edition of the ongoing magazine, you were featured and your work was featured. And there was a specific example from your research about your work with the Northville Township Police Department. Can you share any additional details about you know, the work that you conducted there and how that department has altered their approach as a result? Um, it's pretty much the same process. However, I will say that Chief Tenney's at the Northfield Township Police Department, he has a unique vision and ability to see the possibilities of policing and really discusses envisioning a community that's socially just overall. His leadership, since I've met him, seems to focus on prevention instead of intervention. So even though they haven't had any public challenges, they're not really the department that's on the hot seat, so to speak. He's been actively trying to think about how can he engage that agency to be a leader in this work. I actually believe that their biggest challenge is their civilian community supporting those improvements and ideas that he has that are, are very much, again, social justice oriented and so that they can see that there's a need to be adjustments in the culture of the community overall. Because one of the things that people do seem to forget is that law enforcement agencies are a part of a community. And so oftentimes the things that we see are indicative of what the civilians in that community are focused on and what their priorities are. And so it can be a pretty tough thing for them to change processes when their constituents are not necessarily in line with that. What can be done to impact positive change in providing the anti-racism, anti-oppression, and mental health training more broadly? So this is one of the things that Chief Tinney's and I have talked so much about. And again, I, I have to impress upon people that the, these are relationships that have been developed through engagement, right? So it's not just, well, I met you yesterday and now we're going to be able to have this dialogue. It was intentional. And one thing I've appreciated about him is that he's been clear that he didn't want to engage in anything that was just superficial or just to check off a training box. And we've been talking about how it's critical to do things that are going to literally shift and transition and transform the attitudes of individuals in order to have positive outcomes and behavior. So as a social worker, I'm sure people or in other clinicians that are listening can hear that it's really as simple as cognitive behavioral approaches and recognizing that people's thoughts and feelings impact their behaviors. And so we have to really understand the way people think and feel if we want to move forward. And that doesn't happen in a one-time session where I present information and then I walk away. So I think that for people to not just call on training, but to really talk about systems transformation is where we need to go. 
And how has your experience as a social worker impacted the way that you approach working with and helping police departments? So those things that I named when I use the acronym Eat Pie, all of that is just the core competencies of being a social worker. And what I do is I approach everything that I do, research, evaluation, um, working with communities as a client system. And that's been invaluable. So if I had just jumped to doing an intervention, which I will say I have tried before and failed miserably, uh, I will continue to fail miserably. And, and, and really it's just simply the theory of human behavior in a social environment and using that training to guide me. What has motivated you to conduct this type of research and build these relationships and collaborate with law enforcement agencies? Yes. Some people may, um, if you read the ongoing magazine through the School of Social Work, you can hear a little more of my story. But basically, my family has had an abundance of negative experiences with the judicial system. And so really, every day when my husband leaves home, I'm anxious about him being stopped and concerned that things could go wrong. I'm constantly afraid that my seven-year-old nephew will be seen as a threat soon because I've already seen how that happened with my son. So when he started to become older, he was immediately seen as a threat. If I had my way, I would dismantle all systems of punishment and focus on restorative practices. But that that's my dream, right? And it's not likely that's going to happen in a society during my lifetime where other disparities continue to impact the things that people do, right? So crime is not gone. So I realized that I could either sit at home and focus on myself and my own family, or I could reach out and be a part of the change that I want to see in the world. It's very inspiring that you've chosen to do that as an outcome of all of these negative and you know un unfair things that have happened. How can social workers provide mental health support to officers who themselves experience trauma and why is that an important element of this conversation as well? I said before that I, I look at law enforcement as a culture of its own. And so similarly to working with veterans, for example, having a working knowledge of their experiences is really critical. Knowing the language that they use, which is very different, it's, it's critical. And we need to be able to work to reduce the stigma so that treatment is readily accessible to law enforcement officers and not a threat to their livelihood. So a lot of times some of the language that some practitioners use in documentation can be damaging to people in the long term, and that's not going to be helpful. So we have to work on reducing that stigma and creating opportunities for people to engage in services that are going to be culturally relevant to them be able to have this dialogue and understanding what their roles entail is going to be, um, that, that has to happen if we want to continue to move forward. Because I, I spoke with an officer not too long ago who called that was involved in, in my clinical practice that was involved in a shooting with a person who was involved in a crime. 
And to hear this officer describe their experiences being in the moment, trying to protect their partner, trying to see what they could have done differently, it required, it, I had to understand even the language they were using that the common person doesn't use. It, it took all of that to be able to hold space for this person and really support them in working through processing that experience. Is there anything else that you want to add or share to this conversation? I think I've already said it, but since I'll, to, to wrap us all up, I think that I would like to encourage every single person to rethink the way they see themselves in their communities. I've been reminded that most times a law enforcement is present is because someone called them. So thinking about, is there a reason for that? Um, are we calling them because we don't know other resources that are available in the community? Are we neglecting to consider the purpose of law enforcement? Are we afraid of certain individuals? We have to, as community members, we have a responsibility to know that no one profession or entity is responsible or should be responsible for the greater failings of a, of a larger societal issue or issues, I should say. I think that's a great note to end on. It gives everyone a call to action, provides each listener something to really think about and take with them. Thank you so much, Daisha, for joining Michigan Minds. I sincerely appreciate your time and all of the information that you've shared with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.